I'm announcing I am running for the U.S. Senate for the great state of Florida. Yay! That'll be fun. That's one reason. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck From in the middle From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM people-powered radio in Los Angeles. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on 91.7 KYAQ and 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI and Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP. Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR. New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets every day on the Progressive Voices channel. Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk. Is that enough for you? Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, While I had a uh, swell show, as ever, planned for you today, we'll see how that goes uh, as we have more breaking news. Uh, Breaking really just uh, while we were on the way over here uh, to the studio today at KPFK, our flagship station here in Los Angeles. So, uh, Des, uh, Desi Doyen, keep an eye on things as we move forward in yes, case there's more yes, on uh, this. See who, and maybe somebody will get fired. Who knows? At this point, everything is happening all if at once. If somebody <laughs> got fired, that would be a, you know, that would be nothing. That'd be small potatoes, I guess, compared to, uh, well, this just in federal agents on Monday raided the offices of President Donald Trump's personal attorney, Michael Cohen who's been under intense public scrutiny for weeks over a $130,000 payment to a porn actress who says she had sex with Donald Trump more than a decade ago. The raid on Cohn's office was carried out by the U.S. Attorney's Office in Manhattan and was based at least partly on a referral from Special Counsel Robert Mueller's office. That, of course, keep in mind, is... According to Michael Cohen's own lawyer, Stephen Ryan, he says the decision by the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York to conduct their investigation using search warrants is completely inappropriate and unnecessary. It resulted in the unnecessary seizure of protected attorney-client communications between a lawyer and his clients. Ryan did not elaborate on the documents that were taken from Cohn's office, but said he has cooperated with investigators, including speaking with lawmakers, looking into Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. The New York Times is reporting that among those documents that were seized 
in this raid are tax documents. Whose tax documents? We don't exactly know at this uh, at this hour, but tax documents and uh, communications between Donald Trump and Michael Cohen, reportedly. Again, a lot of this stuff is coming from Cohen's own attorneys. Uh, the raid was not done by Robert Mueller and his people, but rather the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York. Uh, so if Cohn wanted to, uh, or Cohn's attorney in this case, Ryan, wanted to uh, try to tar whatever happened in this raid, uh, referring to, uh, you know, the idea that, well, this was up to Robert Mueller, had the information based on what came from Robert Mueller. Uh, that would be a nice way to... Uh, you know, continue Donald Trump's uh, calling all of this a witch hunt and uh, that they're out to get him and it's a big conspiracy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so keep that in mind, a, a, a grain of salt when it comes to uh, the idea that this came from special counsel Robert Mueller's office. Cohen has uh, made a, a lot of attention recently due to his acknowledgement that he claiming that he and only he paid porn star Stormy Daniels some $130,000 out of his own pocket, that Donald Trump had nothing to do with it, even though it was just days before the 2016 presidential election. Cohn has claimed that neither the Trump organization itself nor the Trump campaign was a party to that transaction with uh, with Daniels, that he was not reimbursed for the payment, that he just did it out of the kindness of his heart. Uh, Trump told, and by the way, if he did do that, that would be unlawful under uh, uh, federal campaign finance laws. Trump has told reporters last week in his really only comments about the, the Stormy Daniel affair, uh, he had told reporters that he did not know anything about the payments that were said to have been made by Michael Cohen. So we don't know a whole lot more than that at this hour. At least I don't, since it's uh, breaking even as we go to air. Uh, if you do, feel free to call us and tell us about it. Our phone number is 818-985-5735. That is 818-985-5735. I, I hope to open up the phones in a little bit uh, today. Uh, in a little bit uh, later today. Um, so if you want to, you know, get in line to use your public airwaves, if you've got more information on that uh, Cohen raid that you want to share or thoughts about it, um, feel free to give us a call to use your public airwaves before they are all, all stolen from you by right-wing corporations like Sinclair Broadcasting, which the FCC is allowing to buy up your public airwaves. As we discussed on several of our broadcasts last week, I hope to discuss it a bit later today um, as well. Uh, some more information on that. In any event, we'll see if I get there at this point. 818-985-5735 is our phone number if you want to get in line right now. You may have also heard over the weekend on Saturday, uh, there was this huge fire on the 50th floor of the Trump Tower in Manhattan, which is headquarters for the Trump Organization and the home, the personal residence to Donald Trump, one of them, I guess, when he isn't uh, busy playing president in Washington, D.C. or down in uh, at Mar-a-Lago, his club in Florida. Um, and of course, uh, when I heard about this fire breaking out over the weekend, I th first first thing that occurred to me because I guess this is just how I am. First thing that occurred to me is, oh, my God. 
The investigation was getting close to the Trump organization, so rather than uh, give documents over to Robert Mueller, they've just burnt the whole place down. That was my <laughs> that thinking. Was, yes. Uh, right I know off the that bat, was the first place your brain went to, but yes, we have to point out, of course, that there's no information, no, no evidence, evidence of that whatsoever. whatsoever. But that, you know, to be honest, yeah. the way that this Trump administration is going, I kind of wouldn't be surprised. Uh, right. It wouldn't surprise you. Uh, so that's kind of where my brain went. Uh, and then uh, Donald Trump on Twitter uh, shortly after the fire had erupted and, and was then apparently brought under control by firefighters. He tweeted, fire at Trump Tower is out. Very confined. Well-built building. He said, firemen and women in parentheses and women did a great job. Thank you. All right. First, uh, as one uh, journalist pointed out in response to that tweet, yes, the word firefighters actually is a word. He didn't have to say firemen and women, parenthetically. Uh, He could have just said firefighters. But it should be noted that he posted that tweet. It was about an hour or so after the initial reports of the fire at Trump Tower. And in the tweet, he didn't mention anything about injuries to anybody, to any tenants or to the uh, four firefighters who were injured trying to put out this massive blaze in one of the apartments there. Uh, He didn't, Donald Trump didn't notice, oh, we should have thoughts and prayers for any of these people, as he does, you know, sometimes after shootings. But he did remember to mention how well built his building was. Uh, As we would later learn, unfortunately, one man who had been taken to the hospital in critical condition has actually died, died shortly thereafter in that Trump Tower blaze. uh, The raging fire that tore through the 50th floor apartment at Trump Tower on Saturday killed a man inside, sent flames and thick black smoke pouring from windows of the president's namesake skyscraper, according to AP. The New York Fire Commissioner Daniel Negro said that the cause of the blaze is still not known, but that the apartment was virtually entirely on fire when firefighters arrived just after 5.30 p.m. on Saturday. Todd Brasner, who is 67 years old, he was in the apartment, he was taken to a hospital, and he died a short time thereafter, according to the NYPD. Property records obtained by the Associated Press indicate that Brasner was an art dealer. He had purchased his 50th floor unit in 1996. Asked if Trump's tweet about the building being well-built was accurate. Uh, Negro said, well, it's a well-built building, but the upper floors of the residence, they are not sprinklered. They have no fire sprinklers in the upper floors where the residents live. There are uh, buildings, uh, in in fact, Donald Trump's, uh, the Trump Organization offices, those are down below. So how can it be that the residential floors do not have fire sprinklers? Well, according to AP, fire sprinklers were not required in New York City high rises when the Trump Tower was completed back in 1983. Uh, updates subsequently to the building code have required that commercial skyscrapers install the sprinklers retroactively. But owners of older residential high rises like this one, I guess, is considered older. They are not required to install sprinklers unless the building undergoes major renovations. Some fire safety advocates have pushed for a, uh, a requirement that older apartment buildings be retrofitted. 
with sprinklers when New York City passed a law requiring them in the new uh, newer residential high-rises back in 1999. But officials in the administration of then-mayor and still-Trump pal Rudy Giuliani said that that would just be too expensive. Trump's own family has an apartment on the top floor of the 58-story building, though reportedly the 58th floor at Trump Tower is actually called the 68th floor for some reason. Yeah, seriously, he even exaggerates the size of his own buildings, apparently. The headquarters of the Trump Organization is down on the 26th floor, but some residents said they got no notification whatsoever from the uh, building management that they should evacuate. Lalitha Mason, 76-year-old resident, called it, quote, a very, very terrifying experience. She told The New York Times that she received no announcement that she should leave and that when she called the front desk during this huge blaze, no one answered. She said, when I saw the television, I thought we were finished. She lives on the 36th floor with her husband, uh, who is 79 years old and has Parkinson's disease. She said she just started praying because she felt it was the end. She said, I called my oldest son and said goodbye to him because the way it looked, everything was falling out of the window. It reminded me of 9-11, she said. Dennis Shields, another resident who uh, says he lives on the 42nd floor, confirmed that there were no orders to evacuate, but that he received a text, a text message from Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohen, who was raided today. Uh, Michael Cohen uh, apparently was somebody that this guy, Dennis Shields, happened just happened to have grown up with. Shields uh, said about Cohen, well, he said in this text, are you in the building? I said, yes. He said, you better get out ASAP. That's how I knew to get out. Otherwise, I'd still be in there, he said. So that's how much uh, Donald Trump is concerned about the well-being of his own residence in his own trademarked building. (laughs) So uh, you can only imagine how much he cares about the rest of us. Uh, including that woman who was, you know, lived there for nearly 20 years. Uh, the uh, Mark Kleiman, NYU public policy professor, we need to get him back on the show. It's been years since we talked to him. Uh, he tweeted right after this, one man dead, no sprinklers. Trump bragged he could kill a man on Fifth Avenue and get away with it. Kleiman goes on to note that Trump Tower is on Fifth Avenue. That's right, the corner of Fifth and uh, 56th. Uh, just to sock that bit away as the investigation continues into what caused this fire and, and, and why there were no alarms for tenants to evacuate despite a four-alarm blaze there requiring some 200 firefighters on the scene. Uh, we, we And by the way, Donald Trump has still said nothing to my knowledge about the death of a man in his own building who has lived there for 20 years. That he couldn't take time to, uh, to get on uh, Twitter to tweet about, but he was able to tell everyone what a great uh, 
What a great building. How well built his own building was. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. 818-985-KPFK. If you'd like to get in on any of this, let me, uh, Mike has a thought on this. Let's go ahead straight to the phone. I got a lot to cover today, but let me uh, go to Mike because he wanted to talk about this. Hey, Mike, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hey there. Yeah, back in the 1970s, I worked for Knight Ritter newspaper, and mm-hmm. the little suburban city council I covered was considering a measure to increase uh, fire safety mm-hmm. for prospective high-rise buildings. Now, if you want to ignite some charcoal, which is pretty hard to start, without uh, lighter fluid, you just put it in a, tick, uh, in a tin can that's shaped like a high-rise and put a little kindling in the bottom, and you just got a you know, a great fire right. starter. Yeah. Uh, so the, the the shape of high rises is very much prone mm-hmm. to fires. Uh, Towering Inferno, a, a popular film, came out yep. in the 70s. Yeah. And numerous real-life high-rise fires have shown how dangerous they are. Yeah. Uh, well, there was one councilman on this council who was business type and didn't want it because it would increase costs, but, of course, he was outvoted by the same majority. That was in here, here talking about department. here in, in Los Angeles back in the 70s you're talking about. Yes, it right. was the city of Norwalk, actually. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I mean, the, the dangers of these high-rise fires was very well known by then, yeah. uh, by the 1980s. Uh, Trump uh, basically said, I, I want to make more profit. I don't care who it kills, and that's why he fought uh, improved fire regulations in New York. Yep, that certainly is uh, what it appears to seem. He certainly should have known. And yes, I remember the Towering Inferno uh, very well. And that's exactly what occurred to me when I saw the uh, the, uh, the video of that fire as it was still burning on uh, on Saturday. Thanks, Mike. I do appreciate that call. And uh, 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Uh, I, I had hoped to... Yeah, let me let me see if I can get to as much of this as I can here today, because I've got uh, some uh, I wanted to focus on some good democracy news here before we get to the less good democracy news that I uh, have been planning on covering today. Uh, We'll start here in Maryland, because that's where the good news is today. Uh, Late last week, the uh, the state of Maryland became the 12th state now in the union to enact automatic voter registration after Republican governor of Maryland, Larry Hogan, uh, declined to veto the bill that had passed the Democratic controlled legislature. That's the way Ari Berman reports it at uh, Mother Jones, that the governor declined to veto the bill. In fact, That is what happened. He would not sign the measure. He did not sign the automatic voter registration measure. He just allowed it to become law after refusing to either sign or veto it after its passage, uh, likely because he knew that if he had vetoed it, it would be overridden by the state legislature. Maryland has a half a million unregistered voters, according to a 2017 report by its Department of Legislative Services. Maryland's adoption of automatic registration comes as lawmakers in blue and let's call them purple states across the country have been taking aggressive steps to expand access to the ballot this year, says Ari, in an attempt to combat uh, Republican voter uh, voter suppression efforts at the state and national level. Under the bill in Maryland, eligible voters will automatically be registered to vote whenever they obtain or renew a driver's license. 
at a State Department of Motor Vehicles, or if they interact with other agencies like the state's health insurance exchange and local departments of social services, unless they choose to opt out. The new law, however, will not take effect until July of 2019, so after the upcoming crucial midterm elections. But it could result in the registration of nearly half a million new voters, according to a report by Demos. They are the 12th state uh, to do this. Oregon became the first state to enact automatic voter registration back in 2016. They had uh, pretty impressive results, according to Mother Jones, last month. More than 270,000 new voters were registered that way in 2016 alone after this uh, after the uh, automatic voter registration law passed and Oregon had the highest turnout increase turnout increase they already have pretty big turnout uh, in Oregon but they had the big the highest increase of any state in the last presidential election registration among voters of color in particular increased by 26 points in 2016 That is, uh, of course, one of the reasons why Republicans are so opposed to automatic voter registration. After years of Republican attempts to restrict access to the ballot, Democrats are now finally being a, a bit more assertive to protect voting rights. It's about time, Democrats. According to a recent report by the Brennan Center for Justice, some 514 bills to expand voting access have been introduced uh, just this year in 2018 in 41 states and 20 bills expanding voting access have passed at least one legislative chamber in some 12 states. The Brennan Center says, broadly speaking, more pro-voter reforms are moving than anti-voter restrictions. That's a nice change of pace. This is uh, an encouraging change from what we have seen in recent years. At the same time, uh, red states, so-called red states, continue to try to make it harder to vote. Twenty-three states have passed new voting restrictions since 2010. Seventy bills to restrict voting access have been introduced in some 24 states this year alone. And in uh, more related and encouraging uh, voting and democracy news, at least out here in California, at least 100,000 California teenagers have now pre-registered to vote as part of a statewide program targeting 16- and 17-year-olds to sign up before they turn 18. California Secretary of State Alex Padilla announced the milestone on Friday, noting that there has been a sharp increase in registrations, in particular amid the student-led call for gun safety reforms and other political activism uh, demonstrated in the March for Our Lives movement following the massacre at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in, uh, in Parkland, Florida, back in February. The Hill reports that though the program began in fall of 2016 for pre-registration, more than 10 percent of the signups have been in just the past few weeks, coinciding with the with the uh, youth-led March for Our Lives uh, rally that was held in Washington, D.C. and across the country. The movement behind the rallies was begun by students who survived the school shooting in Parkland and has focused on calling for congressional action on gun reform and focusing on pro-gun lawmakers, uh, focused on targeting them at the polls, at least. 
The impact of recent events is undeniable, says Padilla. According to the L.A. Times, he says it's absolutely served as a motivator for young people to pay more attention. Most of the teenagers who have uh, pre-registered to vote did so as unaffiliated voters. Out here in California, uh, we call it decline to state uh, voters, so they are non-party voters. About 38 percent pre-registered as Democrats, just 10 percent of those people signing up, pre-registering to uh, to vote, signed up as Republicans. The state will automatically activate participants' voter registrations on the day that they turn 18. A great reminder, by the way, for those folks out here in California uh, and everywhere else, uh, but to register or to pre-register to vote right now in California, you can go to registertovote.ca. Gov. That's registertovote.ca.gov. Nationally, you can just simply go to vote.gov. That's vote.gov to register in your home state, whatever state that may be. Primary elections are already underway in a number of states. So now is a really good time to make sure that you are registered and while you please check that you are still registered, even if you think you're already registered. Uh, now's a great time. Go to uh, vote.gov. You'll find your uh, your own state registration uh, uh, site through that to make sure you are still registered and still registered for the party that you think you are registered for. Even if you think you are already registered. So uh, that's vote.gov for the entire country. Spread the word, please. Thank you. Uh, of course, voters will have to uh, both be registered and come out to vote and be allowed to vote at all if there is any chance of uh, doing stuff like flipping the U.S. House and or Senate this year, because, yes, there are a lot of folks who really hope you are not registered to vote at all this year. One of them is Governor of Florida Rick Scott. He has announced today that he will be running for the U.S. Senate against the incumbent Democratic Senator Bill Nelson. Let me take a quick break here. We'll come back to talk about that and what Rick Scott is doing to try to make sure that Floridians, at least certain Floridians, don't vote at all. We'll also get to your phones, uh, to your calls at 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Five major corporations now own over 80% of all media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Your support helps us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations across the country. You can make a real difference by supporting independent media. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. Join us at Brad bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I'll get to uh, Rick Scott here in a moment, but let's get to uh, let's get to some of your calls here because I see our good friend Mo is calling in. I always put him off till the end, so I'm going right to you. Oh, uh, there we go. Hey, Mo, welcome to the Bradcast, sir. 
Hey, Brad, you speak real good English. Let me hear you say <laughs> criminal negligence. Uh, why should I say criminal negligence, Morris? Because regarding that Trump building, somebody's going to jail for criminal negligence. Either the contractor or the subcontractor, they're going to jail, Brad, straight up. Also, the judge that issued or signed that warrant for that raid, let me tell you how serious that is. You cannot get a warrant to raid a tax office particularly a lawyer's office, unless it's pretty serious. And obviously, this one is pretty serious. Talk to you later. Thank you, brother. appreciate that call. Uh, 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Uh, of course, he was talking about two separate things there. Our friend Morris was the fire in Trump Tower, where he says there's criminal negligence. We will see. I think Donald Trump's been uh, pretty well in charge of uh, you know, uh, making sure that uh, the laws work in his favor in New York City for many decades. So we'll see if there's any crim- criminal negligence there. The uh, raid on his personal attorney, his friend, his business partner, Michael Cohen, that is a different matter. And uh, that could be turn into trouble for him. Let me go to uh, Taylor in Eastville. Hey, Taylor, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, I'm a first-time taller. Welcome, sir. I just wanted to say I'm pretty much glad that the FBI probe is going after Michael Cohen because Trump has really evaded the law for so long. He's destroying our environment. He wants to chill off my autism. He wants to do a lot of negative things to society, like segregate us all. And I'm just glad that the FBI probe is finally getting to him. These are the most important people. Thank you, Taylor. I appreciate that call. We will see if he's uh, if that FBI probe is getting to him or not. Again, remember this this raid reportedly, and the information is all coming from sort of Trumpy sources. Mike uh, Michael Cohen's own uh, own attorney, who is saying that the raid was carried out by U.S. attorneys in Manhattan, as opposed to. Uh, the FBI itself, the, the special counsel probe itself. So we'll see. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. All right, let me get to uh, Rick Scott here, and we'll get right back to uh, some calls in a moment if you want to call in. Uh, Governor Rick Scott made it official on Monday, uh, which is something that Floridians have uh, known, suspected at least for months. He is, in fact, running for the United States Senate in what the New York Times describes as a premier race that will return the nation's largest swing state to its familiar role as the political vortex of a tumultuous election year. Great, we needed more political vortexes and tumult. With his formal entry into the campaign, Governor Scott, who's a 65-year-old Republican who is termed out as Florida governor, uh, he made the Sunshine State a centerpiece of the midterm elections just by his announcement on Monday, featuring uh, what will be one of the most expensive Senate races in the country. Uh, And uh, also uh, we'll have an open governor's race and up to half a dozen competitive House seats in Florida as well. The contest between Um, uh, Bill Nelson, the uh, current incumbent senator, and Rick Scott alone is expected to cost $100 million or even much more, chiefly from spending on television advertisement across Florida's 10 broadcast media markets. Scott, who is a multimillionaire healthcare executive before he became governor, he invested millions of his own dollars into his successful campaigns for governor in both 2010 and 2014. 
Of course, he can afford it. Before he became governor, Scott was the chief executive of the healthcare Goliath Columbia HCA. He was booted out as CEO amid a federal fraud investigation that resulted in the largest U.S. government Medicare fraud settlement in U.S. history. The company was forced to pay some $1.7 billion in fines for Medicare fraud uh, for crimes that were carried out during Rick Scott's leadership of the company. And yet the state of Florida reportedly went and elected him governor twice. Florida Senate battle will be a microcosm of national Republicans fight to keep control of Congress under President Donald Trump. Scott's opponent, incumbent Bill Nelson, is one of 10 Democratic senators seeking reelection in states that Trump won back in 2016. Republicans have repeatedly bested Democrats in most statewide Florida midterm races since 2006. Though Nelson's win was one of two Democratic victories uh, back in uh, in 2006, the president has publicly encouraged Rick Scott, who chaired a super PAC for Donald Trump during the 2016 campaign, to get into the race. Scott, however, did not mention the president for some reason in his announcement on Monday. Scott's record on gun laws has earned him an A-plus rating from the National Rifle Association. Congratulations, Governor. That, of course, was before the killings of 17 people at a Florida high school uh, this year, an association that may also turn out to hurt the governor at the polls this year, at least if the bump in registration numbers over the past month or two in relation to those shootings by young people, uh, if that's any indication. A Democratic strategist in Tallahassee, Steve Shale, noted that the last three midterm elections have all, all been referendums on whoever the sitting president happened to be, though he cautioned that the dynamics of the 2018 race are going to be fluid until at least October, adding that uh, if you wanted to send a message to Trump, are you going to do it by voting for his biggest champion in the Southeast? That would be Rick Scott. The GOP Trump scheme to help out Florida's governor has been underway for quite a while. Desi Doyen, you... Um, uh, but you have oh she's on the uh, on the does I wanted to ask you about the uh, what we know about the scheme between Donald Trump's Interior Department uh, Chief Ryan Zinke and Rick Scott. Yes, yeah, to remember pretend. Yeah, yeah. So so back in January, remember the Trump administration and Ryan Zinke, the Interior Secretary, announced this huge expansion of offshore drilling off of everywhere. And then right after that, there was this hastily arranged news conference in Florida that Zinke said, "Oh." Oh, Florida's off the table now. And so Governor Scott. No, there won't be. All the other 40, uh, however many coastal states will have offshore drilling on those states, but not for not Florida. Not for Florida. And, yeah. and so Governor Scott had made it sound like that news conference was like last minute and it was only because of his personal influence. His that, heroic influence. Yes. You know, he's yes. got pull, you know, with yeah. uh, with the United States uh, yeah. president and that that's why Florida got the reprieve. But now, according to both a former Zinke staffer and more than 1,200 internal documents obtained by Politico as part of a public records request, in reality, it looks like the entire thing was completely orchestrated in advance. So the idea was to make it look like a scam. 
Yeah, it was a total scam to make it look like it you know, was something that they just came up with and because of his personal influence. But no, it was intended Rick to Scott look... Rick Scott was horrified <laughs> that there was going to be offshore drilling off of Florida. So he had this impromptu meeting at an airport catching Rick's, uh, Ryan Zinke. Exactly. And said, no, no, we're not going to stand for that here in the Sunshine State. Exactly. And so the idea was that they were going to make it look like it was this major political win for Scott. So that would also then, of course, detract from Democrats. Senator Bill Nelson, the incumbent, who has been against offshore drilling from the very Forever, beginning. right. But the whole thing was a scam. Exactly. I, I can't believe it. Stunning. I'm shocked. I'm going to doubt your uh, reporting on that, Daz, <laughs> and Politico, that uh, Rick Scott you mean? and Ryan Zinke and the Trump administration would do anything so uh, outrageously. To put their thumbs on the scales yeah, to make yeah, it look like some sort of. They would never do that sort of thing. Yeah. I'm going to ignore you. Uh, the, uh, that Democratic <laughs> uh, uh, strategist down in Tallahassee, uh, Steve Shale, went on to say Rick Scott, however, cannot change the fact that Donald Trump has a 40 percent national approval rating uh, and that that's what's driving people to vote. A Quinnipiac University poll, in fact, of Florida voters found in February that Scott's approval rating was 49 percent better than the president's, um, higher than ever, actually. That's his Scott's best approval rating of all time, with 40 percent of respondents disapproving of his job performance. In a matchup with Senator Nelson, however, the senator leads by just a few points, 46 to 42, essentially a statistical tie given the poll's margin of error. And, of course, that's presuming that all the people who wish to vote are allowed to vote. That is never a given, particularly in the state of Florida. We have been reporting of late on what seemed like good news in Florida regarding voting rights for the state's more than one and a half million former felons who are permanently barred from voting in the state. Thanks to Florida's draconian laws meant to keep those folks from ever getting their voting rights back. Uh, and Rick Scott's purposeful use of those laws to suppress the vote across the state, to suppress the vote of some 1.5 million voters. Recently, a ballot measure was approved for a constitutional amendment in the state of Florida. It'll be on this November's ballot that, if successful, it would restore voting rights to most former felons. And so that was good news already a few weeks ago. But then uh, more recently, a federal judge excoriated Rick Scott's scheme that is used to approve restoration of rights to former felons. Or, and this judge ordered him to immediately come up with a new scheme for re-enfranchisement. But of course, Rick Scott and the Republicans in the state of Florida, they are having None of that. What? Restore voting rights to people who have long ago uh, completed their sentences? Rick Scott and the uh, state's three cabinet members are appealing a federal judge's ruling that they must overhaul Florida's system for restoring felons voting rights and that they must come up with a remedy by April 26. This according to the Tampa Bay Times late last week. Scott's spokesman uh, said in a statement that people elected by Floridians should determine Florida's clemency rules for convicted criminals, not federal judges. Mind you, people elected by Floridians, uh, that would be Floridians who have no access to uh, to vote whatsoever because their uh, voting rights have been taken away from them sometimes decades ago and never restored to them. 
The state also asked uh, to delay the uh, that April 26 deadline. That drew a sharp rebuke from the judge, U.S. District Judge Mark Walker. Last month, he had ordered Scott and the cabinet, including Attorney General Pam Bondi, Ag Commissioner Adam Putnam, and Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronis, to figure out a more fair way to restore voting rights for most felons who have completed their sentences. Walker wrote in a six-page decision late last week, he said, rather than comply with the requirements of the U.S. Constitution, the defendants continue to insist they can do whatever they want with hundreds of thousands of Floridians' voting rights and absolutely zero standards. The state's appeal all but ensures, however, that a new restoration system will not be in place by the November election when Scott, Putnam, Patronus, all of the people who sit on this commission, they're all going to be on the ballot. That's uh, some 10 percent of the state's population is barred from voting. Uh, Nearly 26 percent, I think, of the state's African-American population alone is barred under what Rick Scott is doing. The state uh, denied that its restoration process was discriminatory or that it violated the Constitution. Of course, in most states, felons have their rights automatically restored. But in Florida, felons who want to vote have to wait years and years even for the chance to come before the state's clemency board where they have uh, they have to personally appeal to Rick Scott and the cabinet. The board meets just four times a year. It usually hears fewer than 100 cases each time it meets. That means there's a backlog of more than 10,000 cases of people who have been trying to get back their voting rights. In a state like Florida, which has some of the closest elections in the country, A three-judge panel with the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals in Atlanta will now decide on the constitutionality of the state's current system. But those who replace Rick Scott and uh, his outgoing cabinet members, they could appeal that that panel's decision, whatever the appeals court says. They could appeal it all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, which has been stolen by Republicans. That process alone could take years. And frankly, this issue by itself could get them all voted out of office. But of course, that would have would have to happen without all of those who are most affected by this decision being allowed to vote at all. I'll remind you that Scott's predecessor, then uh, Governor Charlie Crist, who was then uh, a Republican, he had a much more streamlined process under his scheme. Felons, many felons, not including murderers and sex offenders, had their rights restored without an application process at all. Uh, and and these hearings, but that changed in 2011 when Scott and Putnam and Bondi and uh, voted to create the, this current clemency system, which basically keeps people from having their rights restored. Putnam, by the way, is running for governor. He told the AP last week that Judge Walker's ruling was quote extreme. Extreme. Gave them a month's time to come up with a new scheme. So that was, why hurry? What's the rush? It's only been seven years since the current disenfranchisement scheme has been in place. That ballot uh, initiative, Amendment 4, I mentioned, that would change the state's constitution to automatically restore the right to vote to most felons in Florida, not including murderers and uh, sex offenders. Uh, But it has to get at least 60 percent of voters' approval 
in order to be uh, passed into law to become a constitutional uh, amendment. Polls, however, show that it has widespread uh, uh, support. But, uh, yeah, Rick Scott knows this damn well, and that's why he really, really wants to keep these people from not being able to vote this year as he runs for the U.S. Senate. Our phone number is 818-985-5735. Let's get to some of your calls. Uh, Nancy in Redondo Beach. Hey, Nancy, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, Brad, thanks for taking my call. You bet. Um, I had, uh, I just kind of got in on the last part where you were talking about so many of the young folks that registered to vote. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking uh, 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 specifically of California, or were you talking about nationwide? Uh, well, let's see. In, in that case, I was talking about the pre-registration that 16 and 17-year-olds are able to do here in California and that there's been a huge bump in those pre-registrations uh, since the student activism coming out of the Parkland uh, High School uh, massacre. I would just be very interested because I know that we're not finding some kind of legislation about the guns with, with the kids in that uh, horrible shooting back uh, on Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember if he signed something to their satisfaction or, I mean, is he like in trouble with the NRA now or does he still have his nice A-plus rating? Okay, you're talking, so, okay, uh, Nancy, uh, you're you're talking about Florida and your phone is, is kind of uh, noisy here, so I'm going to let you go and I'll, I'll give you the, that answer off air, but I think you're talking about Florida, correct? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Yeah. In Florida, in fact, Governor Scott did recently a week, uh, I want to say maybe two weeks ago, did pass some gun safety reforms in the state, including uh, raising the uh, age of uh, uh, that you that you must be to purchase any uh, firearm to 21 years of age. He would not, however, close the background check loophole that allows, well, pretty much anyone to purchase any weapon without any background check whatsoever uh, online or at gun shows. So he refused to do that, which is what uh, the students were calling for. Uh, And also they were calling for an assault weapons ban, so-called assault weapons, uh, uh, these semi-automatic rifles uh, like the one that was used in the uh, the massacre at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. So the students, they got a little something— out of uh, Rick Scott and the Republican legislature in Florida, but they did not get all that they want, and they are still hopping mad about it, uh, and justifiably so. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Should I take what well, Let me do this. Uh, if you're on the line, hang on there. We'll come back and uh, get to more of your calls on all of this and whatever else is on your mind today as uh, Donald Trump's own personal lawyer Uh, Michael Cohen and business partner Michael Cohen, his office has been raided today by the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office in Manhattan. Uh, Let's see, a statement put out just minutes ago from Michael Cohen's, is this from Michael Cohen or himself? Uh, I think from Michael Cohen himself, uh, calls the Mueller investigation, quote, an attack on our country in a true sense. Uh, he calls the raid on his office a disgrace. 818-985-5735 is our phone number if you'd like to ring in on that disgrace. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Just a quick thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate 
to help Desi Doyen and I stay on your public airwaves. You're the only thing that keeps us on those public airwaves. We don't rely on uh, corporate support or political support. We rely on you, and your support is needed now more than ever at bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. To the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, correction, that was not Michael Cohen or Michael Cohen's attorney who called the, uh, called the raid on uh, Michael Cohen's office a disgrace just before the break there. That, in fact, was Donald Trump himself. I misread that uh, alert as it came in. He said, uh, quote, I have this witch hunt constantly going on. He regards the uh, special counsel investigation as a witch hunt, witch hunt. He says it's an attack on our country in a true sense. So the raid, uh, Desi Doyen, was that the um, I think that's a Politico reporting that Trump was was he referring to the special counsel? Do you know when he said this is an attack on our on our country or the raid specifically? He was referring on, uh, specifically to the raid as uh, as the disgraceful situation and an attack on the country in a true sense. That's what Trump was specifically referring to. So there you go. An investigation and a raid, which I presume was perfectly legal, had a warrant from a court from a court. I would I would presume they didn't just decide to knock on his door and uh, and and go in. Yeah. Well, but, remember, I think uh, yeah. Washington Post had reported earlier that under Department of Justice regulations that govern the special counsel's work, Mueller is required to tell Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein if his team finds any information worth investigating that doesn't fall under his mandate. And then Rosenstein has the responsibility of either uh, moving ahead to expand Mueller's mandate or to refer that um, issue that might come up to the U.S. Attorney's Office, and this uh, raid was uh, was conducted by the U.S. So Attorney's if Office in, in South. So if York. in fact, uh, and by the way, it's Rosenstein. Rosenstein. Sorry, Rosenstein. I always get those. That's mixed a, up. I know. I do too. I'm Brad Friedman. So, but anyway, uh, yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah. He was going. If he referred this, you know, this might be a case. And again, we don't know. We're just speculating, right. taking these, reading these tea leaves. This might be a, a case where this does come down to the uh, Stormy Daniels business. And uh, Robert Mueller has decided, well, that is not part of our mandate to investigate uh, whatever involvement with Russia and so forth in the campaign. And so whatever information they had, they just gave it to the uh, U.S. attorney in Manhattan. Yeah. And so but more information know. will no doubt be coming out about all this. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to be able to get to that sing- that new Sinclair story. We'll, uh, we'll try to get to it uh, on, on tomorrow's broadcast. But let me get to uh, some more of your calls here. Uh, Bill in Lake Elsinore. Hey, Bill, welcome to the broadcast. Oh, oh, wait, did I? Uh, my fault. Hey, Bill, there we go. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. Boy, thank you, Brad. You bet. Can you set me straight again? I'm, st- I'm, I'm starting to become uh, fearful that the power structure paradigm 
is geared to protect its own. Why the why the reason is Trump is still here. I thought he'd be long gone. Well, I don't know that I could set you straight on that. I mean, there is there is a process. There is a process that's moving forward, although the process that was most immediately contemplated by the founders of this country would have been impeachment. And the fact that there's been no impeachment moving forward and the fact that, frankly, uh, uh, Democrats in Congress aren't loudly and clearly calling for impeachment investigations to begin uh, because they fear somehow uh, that Democrats always fear everything. They fear somehow that this is going to hurt them in the election. I think it would actually help them in the elections this fall if they said, look, you know, uh, Republicans refuse to investigate, to do a legitimate impeachment investigation. Therefore, we will do so if you put us in office. The fact that they have failed to do that, I, I can't explain to you. But um, that's kind of where we are. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Raj in Culver City. Hey, Raj, welcome to the broadcast. Yes, Brad, I just want to tell you about, you know, people always talk we are not progressive enough and this and that. But if you notice... If, uh, who's, who's, who, who are you referring to who's not progressive enough? No, no. No, uh, they say our country is not progressive enough and things like that. Okay. But if you but if you look at the elections, uh, presidential elections since Eisenhower, mm-hmm. no Republican has won it fair and square. They didn't win the popular vote that everybody knows, but they haven't won it fair and square. Nixon did all that uh, LBJ trying to make peace with Vietnam. He interrupted that. He screwed it up. Uh, that is treason. And he got caught in the Watergate, which was a lesser offense. Reagan did Iran-Contra, and he won the election. Uh, Bush stole the election twice, and he won the election with the Supreme Court. And uh, Trump won the election with the Russian hackers. And uh, so no Republican has really won any presidential election. No one, and none of them have won a fair uh, presidential fair. election. Uh, you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You might be right. You might be right. I know it ain't easy for him. Thanks, Raj. I appreciate the call. Uh, I mean, I know I I personally could not tell you uh, for a fact that George W. Bush won either of his two elections. I couldn't tell you for a fact that uh, Donald Trump won his election. I can tell you for a fact that the Democrats did not bother to uh, demand a, uh, a hand count of ballots in the states that gave the election ultimately to uh, Donald Trump in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan. Uh, they did not demand a, uh, a, a forensic audit and investigation of the wildly hackable and uh, often just wrong computer tabulators, voting systems, uh, even though they use paper ballots in Wisconsin and in most of Wisconsin and Michigan. Uh, those are still run through computers, and Democrats didn't bother to ask uh, to demand that those ballots be counted and that they didn't help much when Jill Stein of the Green Party did try to do that, uh, but was largely blocked by the Republicans. So uh, who knows? Who knows if Donald Trump actually won? It's weird that they wouldn't ask, given how certain they are that uh, Russia in some way or another has interfered in our election, you would think that the most immediate way, the easiest way to do that would be with the voting system. And yet Democrats never ask for anybody to look at it. I couldn't tell you why. All right, let me get to I have time for one more quick call here. Uh, GS in South Lake Tahoe. Hey, GS, welcome to the broadcast. 
Thank you so very much. God, what an awesome show you have today. Uh, Thank you, sir. I'm going to make my closing comment first, since we're almost out of time. Yep. Uh, one very specific, very powerful thing listeners to Pacifica stations can do is to commit to ongoing support of the network. So, what is it, seven uh, out of, uh, well, anyway, only one out of seven, roughly, people who listen actually support the state, mm. the network, with their dollars. Yep. And it's very simple. Becoming a sustaining member is easy. It doesn't have to be expensive. Just 10 bucks a month ongoing can make a huge difference to keep this progressive voice going. <laughs> I mean, there's almost nothing else out there, as you've talked about. <laughs> and there isn't time for me to go into my long list, but my God, getting the money out of politics, Citizens United, destruction of network neutrality, dark money pouring into politics, oh my God, redistrict, capitalism itself, where the profit motive obliterates the whole notion of genuine public service. I'll shut up. That's good. You're good. You're good, GS. Thank you very much. We did not put him up to that. Uh, and I was going to actually, one of the Sinclair stories <laughs> I wanted to say, wanted to underscore the importance of certainly kpfk.org here and those who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us on the air uh, every day, five days a week. But also, whatever station you happen to be listening to right now, please consider supporting them. Most of our stations are are, uh, are, are nonprofit or, uh, you know, require listener support. Even the commercial stations we are on, go support their sponsors. Thanks for that call, GS. Thanks to all of our callers today. Thanks to my producer, Desi Doyen, to our soundboard operator, D'Angelo Jones, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Bradblog. You can drop me email as well. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. That is it. Until we meet again, hopefully tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Yeah.